do you want to cross an ocean? Because it's the next step, I guess. Progressing, I guess, hopefully. Like, you're always, you know, moving forward. And so that's the sailing side is, like, learning new skills and figuring that out and putting another notch in your belt is part of it. The other side of it is that it has become our home and where do we want our home to be and that's also the beauty of living on a boat that it moves so where do we want to move home it just so happens that it is across an ocean There's so many things about this lifestyle that I love. You have butterflies in your stomach and you're ready. Like, why can't we just do that today? Fill them up, be ready to go. Let's go, but you have to be patient and wait. Almost like automated that I don't think I'm registering that we're checking out and we're leaving and we won't see land in about a week. I think I'm most looking forward to the time, space, travel experience that we're going to get with going through an ocean crossing. And now it's time to get into ocean life. And we're about to do the Pacific Puddle Jump, crossing from La Cruz, Mexico, to French Polynesia in the South Pacific. I'm Giselle Miller, and you are listening to Why We Spin Yarns, Episode 4, Ocean Passage. It's March in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and around 50 sailboats are sitting in the anchorage of La Cruz, waiting for the right weather window to cross the Pacific Ocean. Some of these boats have been preparing for this for years, and some only made the decision weeks ago. We quickly get to know our fellow puddle jumpers, as we're called, by the long to-do list that we carry around with us and frequent bus trips into town for large provisioning runs. We're not just preparing for these three weeks at sea, we're preparing for six months of cruising through isolated and rural islands with few grocery stores or boater amenities. So we started, we woke up pretty late and we went <laughs> we through woke up at like our, 745. <laughs> 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 we, yeah. we went through the um, provisioning spreadsheet and realized that we need about 700 pounds of food to do this. Yeah, so I went all engineer. I I can't help myself. So it's like, okay, so if we want to know, yeah, we're carrying food for three months, what does that mean? 
So it took me so long to go through, okay, so one cup of flour is 120 grams. If I'm going to make bread twice a week, then I need blah, 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 and then just, you know, elaborate from that. <laughs> That's a serious so engineer this, brain. This, but the main thing was like, okay, so I guess we're not eating bread twice a week yeah. because we would need 100 pounds of flour, and that's on top of 14 cabbages and 40 potatoes. And... My name is Andy. Uh, I'm on a boat named Bravo. It's a Vakier Praetorian 35, and we're about to do the Pacific Puddle Jump I'm Melissa, I'm Andy's wife, and um, I guess I should clarify for my family, a willing participant in this <laughs> upcoming puddle jump. My cousin owned Bravo for 20 years before we bought her from him. We lived in Colorado growing up, and when I was 16, I lived on Bravo for a summer in San Francisco. Bravo is a very seaworthy boat. My cousin was the captain of the UCLA sailing racing team and he's done the pack cup and cruised quite a bit and she's she's proven herself many times but you know we've been we've been out in some big seas with her yeah we've done a couple of of passages with his cousin um before we actually bought Bravo we did two trips from LA up to San Francisco so that was actually my true introduction to sailing so, yeah, we, we knew her pretty well. We knew what we were getting into. I don't think we would have done this on another boat. It was pretty natural for it to be on Bravo. So. Uh, I wasn't the one who said we should cross an ocean initially, but... I knew that as your wife and as a traveler myself that has dreams and goals and places I want to see that your heart wouldn't rest until it crossed an ocean. No man is no man. When there's nowhere to wander anymore Move to the city Where he's got no flock to tend to Doesn't get chased by lions anymore And if I'm scared and that's all that's holding me back I can't let that be the reason that You don't go across the ocean And I sure as shit don't want you to go with anybody else. Because I knew that if you went with another friend, that I would regret it forever. That I didn't do the experience with you. That you would have a lot of stories to tell and I'd be like, I was skewed. No man is no man when there's nowhere to wander anymore. I don't know if scared. I don't think I'm scared. It's more like a, I guess I'm worried or something. I could see why people go gray. It's just trying to juggle all of the things that have to happen so that we won't be scared. You know, it's the anticipation, I guess, that can be the worst part. 
Hopefully. <laughs> Who knows? I've never done it. Eyes to the stars. So we left this morning, we left La Cruz. This is our first day out. We left around 10, 10, left the fuel dock at like 10.30 or so and motored out a ways. We said, we called our parents and said goodbye to lots of family and friends while we still had cell service. And then we had a really nice sail out of the bay and we just hit kind of the edge of Banderas Bay. Banderas Bay is shaped like a big C. And we basically hit the, the outer edge and the wind died. <laughs> Which we kind of knew was going to happen. We knew it was going to be light. But maybe not quite this light. I'm trying to get into the zone of being patient. Like, especially when you have light winds. It's like, oh, should we start the motor? I don't want to start the motor because we only have so many gallons of fuel. And I'm just trying to be patient. The wind's come and gone, so we're not stuck by any means we're not going zero knots just going really slow so i'm trying to get into the zone of being patient and just can't control the wind We haven't changed our clocks yet, we're, so we're still on Puerto Vallarta, Mexico time. And I don't know how many days we've been at sea. I'd have to look at the log. I think this is day nine. From Puerto Vallarta? Yeah. Including two days at... Yes. So we did three nights over to Isla San Benedicto, and then we've done another three nights? Uh, yeah, tonight will be the fourth. Tonight will be the fourth night from Isla San Benedicto. We lose track pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter what day it is. Because it's still 2,080 miles away. And so if we go four knots, it's like 20 days. And if we go 4.4 knots, it changes. And so we're constantly looking to see how many days it'll take to get there. We've got twin head sails flying. I s put a whisker stay out on the jib so it's pulled out and it's staying pretty full. And then I put the staysail out, our staysail's on a boom. And I tied a kind of a preventer all the way up to the bowsprit on that so that it stays full and so we're kind of going wing and wing with our two head sails going dead downwind we're not really surfing waves but we're definitely surging down them and wind's right at our back we're sitting in the cockpit in the shade of the dodger it's pretty pleasant out 
How are you feeling about passage life right now? Is it what you expected? Um, yeah, I guess it's kind of what I expected. I think we, well, we definitely still have two weeks left. So this is still just the very beginning. So far, it's really just boring, which is great. This is, ex I was really hoping that it would be a boring passage instead of the opposite. The opposite. <laughs> and the weather's been so steady that we've changed sails a few times, but really once or twice a day we'll either change course or set up a different sail plan. What are you looking most forward to now for the rest of the passage? Catching a fishy. I want to catch a fish and cross the equator. I think that'll be a big landmark. Not that I care if I cross the equator or not, but that'll be a big landmark of the home stretch. Um, okay, for me, a high, um, well, the whole, the whole time, I didn't know we would be so close to other boats when we left, and we had a group of people leaving the same day, and so there were like four or five boats that we could see on AIS or talk to on VHF, and we were texting with through satellite phones, and, um, it, it was really fun for me to see where everyone was and I got a little competitive and really like I already had pretty lofty goals of trying to do the passage quickly but to see where the other boats were it kind of pushed me further and then Tioga was with us the first three days and they were you know faster than us I think and one day we were a mile and a half away and then we put up the spinnaker. We could see them like clear as day. Bye. We put up the spinnaker and just went, wow. And they did. I think they were like drinking coffee, relaxing or something. So, but that was kind of a high, just leaving them in the dust. And then. That's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then meeting them at Anchorage for a beer. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when you have that far to go, that can be like a real high. Like we're just chugging out. I mean, it was pretty, Bravo did so well. It was pretty nuts. I was expecting that we were going to get left in the dust by the bigger boats, and we didn't. We totally held our own in, you know, 18, no, 19 days and eight hours. I, so I was thinking about this after you asked the other day, and I'm not sure if I can pinpoint a precise high, but I know that one of the things that I will never forget is the feeling of being 
um, like just the two of us on our little boat in the big blue ocean. It's, it was a really cool feeling and you got that for like 21 days. Um, so that was neat and I don't think that can ever be replicated. I think um, when we got into the doldrums, we were trying to sail, the wind was like flogging and we were both like, Arr! and the like just, just the sails were like bang, 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 bang for like forever. And finally we're like, if it's still doing this in 20 minutes, we're taking the sails down, we're going to bed. So we did, it still was doing this. We just dropped all sails. We just turned on the deck light and we napped for like nine hours, like three hours, didn't look around and then like went on deck, took another three hours and then another three hours. Um, finally felt like refreshed and proper sleep. And there was this giant squall that was coming through and like, meh, we didn't put the sails up. We just waited till it went by. And then when we set the sails from then on, the wind was like southeasterly. We never had to reef again. I think we ran under just the jib for a few days and then we put the main up and it was just like super easy from like just no work the way I thought the whole trip would be but it wasn't until we got across the equator that it was uh, relaxing at last lows are a little easier to remember because yeah. it's because they're events yeah. events that happen where highs are a little more just Good feelings like we definitely had several days of good sailing where the winds were behind us and the seas weren't too rough and we were just cruising right along those were the best yeah. days perfect sail combination just perfect you know just everything felt like it was dialed in just right well we are six full days out of San Benedicto and a little over a thousand miles out of La Cruz, Nayarit. And we, believe it or not, have had pretty much identical wind and sea state for most of the passage. 18 knots from the east-northeast and we are slowly inching our way towards the equator and towards the ITCZ. The ITCZ is the Intertropical Convergence Zone. It's where the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere trade winds meet. And because they're always battling each other, it turns into the doldrums. And so it's hard to wish for anything else because the change in the weather will mean doldrums or squalls, which are not what we want. But after a week of the same thing, any change kind of sounds good. We got pretty excited last night when the weather changed just a tiny bit to the east. We're like, ooh, let's put up different sails. And then we went back to the same sail configuration this morning. thing is that cooking has been a challenge and more just like uh, it's both a physical and a mental challenge to cook inside the cabin. Uh, so it was definitely like being inside of a pinball machine which made for me at least being in the galley kind of a challenging experience. I mean for me I thought I have done 
a lot of cooking underway, but this was, I have not experienced anything like it. Like it was just constant movement. And so everything, littlest things, like trying to fill a water bottle, anything, anything cooking related or like dishes related was super annoying, I found. The first half of the trip pretty much though, we were on starboard tack and our galley is on starboard. So everything was uphill and stuff was just flying everywhere. And it really made me realize I need to figure out some like safe practices. I come from a medical background and there are certain things every time you do this, you check this and this and this. And I'm like, every time I'm in the galley, the knife goes into the sink when it's not in my hand. Every time I pour hot water, one, the thing I'm pouring, the receptacle needs to be in this hand so it's, I'm gimbling it myself and the kettle needs to be in this hand. Like, because stuff was just flying everywhere and it felt like a missile range. <laughs> it was crazy. So I'd made fresh beans and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to make enough. So this is like a two day thing. I just don't want to keep cooking every single day. So I had set, the, I, I poured the beans inside this glass container and was about to put the rice on top of it where we hit a wave. I know it's stupid to put the beans on the counter. I have been told that was not a smart move, but it was just a second. And we hit this wave and it just went flying. It hit the galley wall and just bam, right into the locker. And I was just, I lost it. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. I think it's day 12. I think it's the 12th day since we left San Benedicto. So far the ITZZ has not been what I expected. I thought it was going to be doldrums with squalls passing through, but in our case, it seems like it's just been one giant squall. So we weren't expecting to see squalls yet. We've been sailing a good, sailing fast and then saw a big black cloud behind us and took down some sail to get ready for it. You see it coming. And closed all the windows and then it just rained hard for like 12 hours. And there's lightning all over the place, in front of us, around us, behind us, straight above us. That was pretty scary. There's some pretty bright flashes of lightning all around. You know, you talk to a lot of older cruisers who've done it already and they kind of hype you up on certain, you know, crossing ITCZ and all that. They made it sound like it was going, you're going to just, just be prepared to ride through a hurricane. You know, <laughs> it's like only the lucky ones or if you're super prepared, will you dodge it? We had hit it like maybe three days of squalls and they were like, oh, I think that was it. I think we just went through there. Yeah, our, our first big squall, um, it was raining really hard. Is it like one or 2 a.m. of course? And there was lightning everywhere. You know, that alone being in the lightning and the rain and you know, it was probably blowing 30 knots or so it, and big waves and we were heeling over like the tow rail was in the water. You know, you were just kind of 
there with mother nature having to ride this out and then all these little birds came and started flying behind our mainsail and they started like chirping like but they sounded distressed they were like and it was so ominous it, it was like what there's something really wrong here if these birds are freaking out in the middle of this lightning storm squall like we're screwed <laughs> Friday, March 30th at 21.54 UTC, Sedna crossed into the Southern Hemisphere. We went across the equator and it's her second time, her second time crossing into the Southern Hemisphere. And our first time. So now Cliff and I are officially shellbacks. We were polywogs and now we're shellbacks. South. Yay! <laughs> Southern Hemisphere! Thank you, Neptune! May the other hemisphere be as good as the north. <laughs> or better. We're shellbacks! Congratulations, sweetie. Mm. <laughs> um, crossing the equator was really cool. So cool that we did it three times. So we missed it the first time and then we wanted to like get our responses on video. So we motored back across it and then that was cool. And then we came, we sailed <laughs> across it for a third time. Uh, and then we popped a bottle of champagne, dropped the sails, went for a swim. Ate bacon. Ate bacon. Gave some bacon and champagne to Neptune. So that was really cool. That was the high. It's, it's kind of cliche, but I think the equator crossing was a high for me. I think it was a high for me, like, because it was a really cool accomplishment to do together. And we had a little, we had like a fun night. We made a nice dinner and crossed the equator, like, I have, I don't know what time it was out there, actually. We lost all track of time zones. So it was, the sun was setting and we had champagne. And in here we're going to have to get tattoos if we crossed. Yeah, we kind of made a little pack that we'd get. <laughs> tattoos when we get to go on. Um, and I think it was a big like mental boost like okay we crossed the equator this was like a kind of a milestone type thing in the passage that I was looking forward to. Okay so it is the evening of April 4th we have been at sea for... Almost 20 days. Well, that's from San Benedicto. Yeah. But yes, yeah. Almost 20 days now. And we're only about 200 miles off of Hivaoa. Which means... That we have two days left. Two days left before we make landfall. Hopefully, that's the plan, at least. We um, 
knew we would probably see land uh, when the sun came up on Sunday morning. And so I have the sunrise watch and I said, do you want me to wake you up when the sun comes up and I see land? And he said, no, I want to sleep as late as I can. Don't you fucking dare. So I got to have the experience all to myself. The sun came up. It was beautiful. I was in a really good mood all night because I knew we were going to get here. And um, first I saw Wahuka, which was like super rugged and beautiful and then I started having like little just like rain clouds that kept coming over mixed with sunshine so there were a lot of rainbows forming around the boat and one of them formed like right in front of summer so it looked like we were just going to sail into a rainbow and then sail to Nukuhiva. Um, how was your landfall experience? Was it, was it good. as, like, exciting as you thought it was going to be? Or, like... I, it was same, same as yours, Laura. Like, I was on watch and Ben was sleeping. And I kind of did, like, a land ho just for the hell of it, just to do it. And I said to Ben, I see land. It's really faint. And he was like, great, I'm sleeping. And that was kind of it. So it was it was great. I mean, it was, of course, it was amazing to see land. It was like, oh. We can walk soon. It's going to be so awesome. It was exciting. And the fact that the Marquesas are so monumental, like they're physically just like they pop out of nowhere and they're gorgeous and so rugged that I do remember that we were all in awe just staring at them. Um, but yeah, that was like that mixed feeling of like, I am so excited that we're here and I get that this isn't the end. It's the end of the passage, but it's the beginning of all this exploration that was exciting, except it didn't overshadow what we had just done. It, I didn't feel like, oh my god, dear god, thank you, we're finally here. I didn't have that feeling. It was exciting, but it didn't take away from what we had just done. All the smells, like you can totally smell land after, after being in the middle of the ocean for so long. I also started to feel almost nostalgic. I was like, okay, this like epic journey is coming to an end. So I started to feel a little nostalgic just as we were like that last in those final hours I'm like it's so cool we've been alone or like together alone for so long and now now it's over Cliff just woke me up on April 6th to tell me that he saw land the tiniest, tiniest little bit of it. You can see it coming out of the clouds. But we're there. There's something there. There's more than just something there. There's a really big island up there. I was thrilled to get the anchor down and just be able to relax and like... Yeah. We had oh. beers in the fridge waiting for the champagne landfall. waiting, yeah. Champagne, yeah. like it was just a relief. It was just like a, you know. Yeah, a relief. And a relief for our families too. I feel like it's totally about the destination. I try and remind myself that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey and on a road trip. You're going through all these different places, but on the boat, the journey is really boring. That you're just sitting here hoping nothing breaks and nothing else around you changes. It's all about the destination. Wise men say, only 
I'm Leo. You're doing it. And that's Laurel, apparently, because I'm doing everything. And we're on Summer, which is uh, Shannon 28, unfortunately. And uh, it's a yeah, boat. it's a beautiful boat. We love it. Um, and we're slaves to it and all the other things. And uh, yeah, we sailed from La Cruz to uh, Nukahiva, I guess is where we are now. Marquesas, 25 days. Okay, I'm Molly. <laughs> and I'm Ben. And we're on the boat Ripple, SV Ripple. It's a Whitby 42, and we're from the Bay Area, California. Our crossing was 23 days. Well, uh, my name is Travis Dalkey, and my wife Marta Dalkey. She's been uh, the admiral of this journey. We're on sailing vessel Marion. We yeah. left, I don't even remember when we left. I just remember it took us 23 days. March 22nd. March 22nd. Mm -hmm. I know she knew. My name is Dane Palmer, and uh, Gary Williamson's also on board. And we're on sailing vessel Oso. She is a Vauquier Gladiator 33. Okay. We are Andy and Melissa from Bravo. Yeah, I think, you know, prepare, like, do your due diligence, prepare, research, you know, get as much knowledge as you can before you try this, and then go for it. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> so, after all that, Sedna dropped her hook on the island of Hivaoa in the Marquesas, 24 days after leaving La Cruz, and 21 days total without us seeing any sight of land. And it's just the beginning. Now we start our island hopping, our South Pacific cruising season. A big thank you to all of our friends who volunteered to do the post-passage interview with us and have their words and stories be a part of the episode. Specifically, the crew of Bravo, Tioga, Summer, Ripple, Oso, and Marion. Music featured in this episode includes two songs by my friend Dan Kirkwood, his single Nomad, and Foghorns, which was recorded with his group Obi-Wan Coyote. Obi-Wan Coyote just released their title album, which you can purchase for yourself on iTunes or listen on Spotify and Bandcamp. Other songs in the episode include pieces by Les Hayden, Vagabond Mantra, and myself on the ukulele. For the full musical credits, and links to Dan Kirkwood's music, see the podcast description or visit my website at sednastories.com. Why We Spin Yarns is recorded and produced independently by myself, Giselle Miller. Thanks for listening. Fog in the morning, fog horns Chasing me out of my bed Let's do that one more time. So names. <laughs> the fame really is really old. getting to me. Full Just legal name or like. <laughs> Don't buy 14 cabbages. Cause like seriously, I actually wrote a blog post on this. And we we ate well, but holy fuck, like trying to cook with three meter swell is some of the most challenging conditions ever. Oh yeah, what's your song? 
It's a great day to be alive. Yes. Oh, like I would be okay without eating cabbage again. Does it feel a little less insane? Because I think sometimes it's easy to question, like, what, what the fuck are we doing? What the fuck are we doing out here? <laughs> like, why are we wondering what the hell's going on? My favorite part was pulling in the Hiva Oa and planting that fucking anchor down. I'm Melissa, his wife, and we are from Bravo. So cut, dig two. <laughs> I think Captain Ron said if it's going to happen, it's going to happen out there. We should watch that movie again. Yeah.